If you have your Bibles or devices, open them up to the book of John, chapter 21, and we'll get to verse 15 in a few moments. Um, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastor elders here at the church. We're very grateful that you're here. Happy Mother's Day to all our mothers, to all the women in our church who, as Jamie said, do such a great job in loving, nurturing, caring, and leading us. Whether you have biological children or not does not mean that God uh, can't use you and won't use you. And besides, we all have mothers, so therefore we get to celebrate this day. Uh, we're taking these Sundays between Easter and Pentecost, and we're looking more fully at the resurrection of Jesus, the physical resurrection of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, not a metaphysical, not a magical thing, not, a, not something conjured up in people's minds. It actually happened. And we're looking at his resurrection and how he keeps appearing to his disciples. Um, he keeps appearing to them, proving he's alive and giving them peace and dispelling their chaos and rewiring the way they view scripture. Today's appearing actually happens not in Jerusalem where most of the others have happened. Um, it's 80 miles north in Galilee on the Sea of Tiberias. Of course, uh, Peter and his brother and James and John, they're fishermen. This is where they're from. And Peter is there with at least six others, the scripture tells us, and he is, I don't know if he's bored, I don't know what's happening in his mind, maybe he's trying to avoid the issues, but he's like, I'm going fishing. And they're like, we'll go with you. So they go, they go fishing, and as per tradition, they fish into the nighttime, because that's the best time to catch fish, and they fish all night long, and they catch nothing, which is kind of funny, because they're fishermen. They're professional fishermen. But they've caught nothing. And Jesus shows up on the seashore. And he has to show them where to catch fish, which is kind of funny. Uh, he's done it once before. And so now he helps them catch some fish and they realize it's the Lord. And now we see a soaking wet Peter standing before the Lord. And Jesus says, come, let's have breakfast. And along with six others, they sit down and eat. And we pick up the story in verse 15 of John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Can't you just feel the intensity of this moment? The drama that's playing out? 
Jesus is going after something deep in Peter's heart, and he's come to address Peter's guilt and remorse and shame. Peter had tried to stay close to Jesus on the night that he was arrested. He tried from a distance, staying as close as he could, but bystanders kept pointing him out as a disciple. And that made Peter bristle, caused him to deny that he even knew Jesus, just to divert their attention. even chose to swear and curse so that he'd throw up a smoke screen. But after his third denial, he heard a rooster crow. And it hit him like a ton of bricks. The very thing Jesus had predicted had come to pass. He had denied his master not once, not twice, but three times in one long, dark night. In the midst of all the shock and the horror of everything that was going on, Peter had forsaken and trampled underfoot his own promise when he said to his master, though they all fall away, Jesus, I will never fall away. I will even die for you. Those were Peter's words. You know, the stark reality of this moment hits him and it comes crashing down on him. And the Bible tells us that Peter went outside and wept bitterly. Now here we are just a few weeks later and Peter's having breakfast with Jesus. A breakfast Jesus himself cooked over a fire where he took wood that had been burned down to charcoal and maybe even threw a few pine cones in just for flavor. He could smell the fire, Peter could, and it had to have reminded him about that same kind of fire on the night he betrayed Jesus as he stood around warming himself, denying the Lord. His heart had to have been heavy with guilt and shame, regret, doubt. Maybe Jesus doesn't know that I, I denied him. Maybe, who am I kidding? Of course he knows. I know. But, he, but he's not brought it up yet. I've seen him now three times. He's not said a word to me. He's seen me. I stood there soaking wet in his presence. And he just said, come have breakfast. And then it happens. Jesus looks at him after the breakfast that they've all been awkwardly, quietly sitting around eating, knowing that it's Jesus, but not anyone saying anything. And Jesus breaks that silence and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You know, the way the Lord addresses him at this moment is different from the nickname that he gave him earlier on. He called him the rock back then. That's where we get the name Peter. That's a cool nickname. Wouldn't you like to be called the rock? Feels like we have one of those in our culture. I don't know. 
I mean, I'd like to be the rock, you know, the rock. But today, Jesus doesn't use that name. He says, Simon, son of John. And it's as if he's trying to remind Peter of where he came from. Before he walked on water. Before he was called to fish for men. Before he had that great revelation that Jesus was the Son of God. Before he had made all those bold claims. Before Jesus changed his name. Though Jesus was speaking out of love, this had to have hurt Peter. Especially when he asked if Peter loved him more than these. All these other disciples sitting here. Shh, Jesus. They're sitting right here. We understand what Jesus is doing here, don't we? We understand that the three questions, do you love me, correspond with the three times that Peter denied the Lord. Each time it's asked, you can almost feel the scalpel going in deeper, going to the heart, going to cut out the guilt, going to... Deal with this pride. Going to rid him of his insecurity. Going to drive out that need to be accepted and admired and wanted and followed. But as much as this hurt, it wasn't about rubbing Peter's nose in it. It was about healing Peter's heart from it. Jesus had purpose. He wasn't trying to make Peter miserable. He was making Peter useful. I've had this type of talk with the Lord personally. I've had these moments where my denial of him and the way I totally messed up my life caused me to be on the outside rather than on the end. Maybe you have too. But whether we've had those kinds of traumatic, dramatic moments, all of us can identify with the shame of bad choices, of making a wrong step. The consequences of our sin and poor behavior, failing over and over again, and it hurts and stinks and we just don't like it. And the inability to do any better. How does Peter answer the Lord? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. But if you take a closer look, it reveals that their conversation is using two different Greek words where our English language is just using one. Their word for love. They're not saying exactly the same thing. When Peter replied to Jesus, he used the word phileo, which means affection, to kiss, brotherly love, which is definitely a strong word. But it's not as strong as the word Jesus used, which was agape. That word means unselfish, unfettered, unconditional. 
It's like Peter just couldn't bring himself to profess that full kind of love. So he said, Lord, I have affection for you. I, Lord, I really like you. But I just can't say agape. I just can't say that anymore. Not after my failure. Not after my disgrace. It's in these words that we understand that Peter's presumption is now gone. And that's a good thing. His bold claims of allegiance, they are no more. Mercifully, when he asked the third time, Jesus uses the same word Peter's been using all along. As if to say, it's okay, Peter. I like you a lot too. Jesus, though a surgeon to cut out what needs to be removed, is a healer that will bind up your wounds. What's incredible to me about this conversation is that in the midst of Peter being healed, Jesus gives Peter renewed purpose. Even though Peter had ruined things, that didn't ruin it for Jesus. He's in the business of taking old ruins and making something beautiful. He's in the business of taking our shattered, broken lives and not putting them back together but making life in the midst of the ruin that was better than what you had before. So as Peter is professing his like of Jesus, I liked you like a brother. I like you a whole lot. I'm very affectionate towards you. I'd even give you a holy kiss. That unfettered, unconditional, holistic kind of no-hook love, I'm still working on that. But as Peter did what the best he could do, Jesus does more. He gives him a threefold restoration that comes with a threefold commissioning. He says, Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Each time giving Peter a job that not a lot of people might want, but a job. Nonetheless, and it's even more impressive when you realize that in Eastern culture, to say something three times in front of witnesses settled it. And so now Peter's restoration and renewed purpose was settled, complete with witnesses around the fire. But let's just take a step back further because we don't want to get ahead of ourselves here. We need to remind ourselves that Peter loving Jesus was what made purpose come forth, not the other way around. It all starts with his love. It always does. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's love for us is what grows our love for him. If you haven't received the full dimension of his love, your ability to love him back will be futile. But when you've received such tremendous life and love from the Father, 
then what starts happening in you is this almost supernatural way of loving him back, making him the biggest thing in your life. His love motivates you to love, and out of loving, renewed purpose is revealed. But don't get them reversed. That makes performance rather than relationship. And that's not what the kingdom is all about. There are a few things I want to point out to you as leaders, as parents, as followers of Jesus that can be warning signs that we've, we've gotten these things out of order. That we're performing, we're doing before we're receiving his love. The first thing, when your relationship with Jesus is no longer your top priority, where you reduce your following him to doing things for him, then you're on dangerous, in dangerous territory. It's like Martha, who was certainly a follower of Jesus, but she was a doer. And in that, she could get out of whack with the Lord. Mary was a beer. She sat at the Lord's feet, and Jesus said to Martha, 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 calm down. Mary's chosen the better thing. He wasn't trying to rub Martha's nose in it. He was trying to help Martha see it always starts with love. A second thing you need to be careful about is when you don't allow Jesus to address your wounds, like those tender places that need healing and those broken places that need repentance. You see, this is where Peter had a problem. He didn't want Jesus to have to do anything for him. He wanted to show Jesus he could do everything for him. And that's, that's wonky. That's out of whack. You don't ever do anything for Jesus apart from what he's first done for you. I don't need you to wash my feet, Lord. No, 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 no. Get away from me. Get away from me. I, I can handle this and show you I'm worthy on my own. No, you can't. Unless I wash you, you can't stand in my presence. Third, when you go from being a servant to wanting to be served, that's a problem. What I mean by that is we can all grow entitled. You may not see it at first, but others will, especially the ones who are closest to you, where you start feeling entitled Make sure you're accountable. Ask your pastors. Ask your small group leader. Ask your spouse. Ask your friend that you walk with closely. Keep me accountable. Don't let me get entitled, wanting others to serve me rather than being a servant myself. A fourth thing you should be concerned about is to, is to not grow absent where you're not present with those that you're loving and walking with. You can do this as a leader, as a parent, as a spouse, where you're there, but you're not there. Do you know what I'm saying? You're absent. You're not engaged. And that kind of place draws us back to a place of duty rather than love. There are certainly other red flags that we could talk about this morning. Those are ones that come to my mind as I think about Peter and his life. And if you're seeing any of those things in your life, you're probably getting things out of order. The answer is not to do more. The answer is to receive his love more. 
And let that reception of love motivate your love. And then purpose will be revealed. Looking back at this conversation, to wrap it up this morning, between Jesus and Peter, Jesus doesn't leave it there. That'd be enough. (laughs) That'd be a whole lot, and that would be fine. But Peter needs one more thing from the Lord, actually a couple more things. Jesus takes it to where it needs to be. He's doing this deep work on Peter's heart. He's bringing healing And he is renewing his purpose, showing that love is the motivator, not performance. But now he's about to show Peter exactly how he will glorify the Lord as he goes forward. Look at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Man, Jesus just doesn't leave anything unsaid, does he? He he tells Peter right up front, your journey has got more unpleasantries. There are going to be things you're not going to like. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be hardship. We think when we get older, we get to be in more control. We get to make the decisions. We get to have our own way. We get to decide for ourselves. But Jesus has a different vision for us. It's what Henry Nouwen says is the ability and willingness to be led where we would rather not go. That's the path that Jesus has for us. That's what it means when Jesus said, if you want to follow me, this is what it takes. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow. You have to be willing to go places that you wouldn't normally or in any other circumstances be willing to go. Jesus tells Peter, you used to go where you wanted. You used to wear what you wanted. You used to be what you wanted. But that's going to change. And you will even stretch out your arms, which is crucifixion language, by the way, used oftentimes in literature to indicate the means of death, to stretch out your arms, means to be crucified. You will stretch out your arms, and when it happens, you'll know that this is the kind of death which will glorify your Father. Now, what kind of language is that? That's not what we talk a lot about at church. We like to talk about you being blessed, and you being happy, and you being problem-free, and you having abundance. And God likes to take care of his children. And he likes to bless his people. And he likes to give you abundantly. But he also apparently is going to get glory out of the way we live our lives and even the way we die our death. Now imagine that. That's not a real popular message. If we had a website to put that on, I don't know that we'd get anybody to come and listen to it. 
but it's the message of the cross. It's what Jesus himself is saying, not only to Peter, but to every one of us who would come after him. That our own lives must be about bringing glory to God. That's why we're here. As John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Simply put, our chief end in life is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And Peter's life and death was to bring glory to God as he enjoyed him forever. After saying all of this, all that he's been saying, healing his wounds, giving him purpose, showing him how to glorify God, Jesus then says to him two great words, follow me. With those two words, follow me, Jesus says the same thing to Peter that he said to Simon, son of Jonah, those many years ago on the Sea of Galilee. Follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. So having come to meet Peter to deal with his betrayal, having invited him, come and have breakfast, he is dealing with the hurt and he's renewing his purpose and he's revealing how Peter would glorify the Lord. And he finishes with the same two words that he says to every single person who is changed by Jesus' love, who receives his forgiveness and who walks in his way. Jesus says to all of us, follow me. Are you broken today? Full of remorse, regret, guilt, shame. Come and have breakfast with Jesus. His fire is still burning. He's still got food for you. Let his words do surgery in your own heart, cutting out the hurt and the bitterness and the unforgiveness and the guilt, and the anxiety, and the shame. Let him speak words of life and love that actually do surgery on your heart. Let his love for you grow your love for him, revealing that he has purpose for you, that you're to bring him glory with all that you do and all that you are. In everything we do, Let's follow Jesus. Amen. Donna's going to come and we're going to pray for you. Any and all that might have been ministered to and what's being said today and what the Lord has been doing. We love to do this at this moment. And what Donna shares is always so encouraging to us as well. And so we'll listen to her and then we'll pray. Earlier this week, I was um, struggling on so many levels and having a very bad attitude about it because I wanted God to intervene in a situation that he wasn't doing, <laughs> and I was stomping my foot. It wasn't me. It wasn't, Chris. Um, Just want to be clear. 
But he, he came into that space that I was uh, creating for myself, and he said, let me pray for you. And I was so grateful that he didn't say, do you want me to pray for you? Because I was already pricked and poked and uncomfortable with my sin response, and it would have been really hard for me to say the right thing, which would have been yes. <laughs> so he didn't leave it up to me. He said, let me pray for you. And when he started praying, he didn't start his prayer by praying for me. He prayed for the other person in the story that was causing all of my flesh to react. And what he prayed for them was salvation. And it really struck me that even though I've learned from him earlier in our lives that I can't pray about people, I have to pray for them. It honestly, I'm embarrassed to say this, it had never occurred to me to pray for them to be saved. Pray for them to be changed, pray for them to receive some comfort or some confidence, lots of things that God could provide, but not their salvation. And it was so telling to me that I hadn't thought of that. It was such a, a shock to me. I know it wasn't to the Lord, but I was so surprised that it hadn't been a thought. And I thought, that says more about where my heart is and about the other relationship. And so I'm sharing that with you today, not in an effort to be oversharing and making you uncomfortable, but to say that sometimes what we think we need the Lord to do for us isn't what he's offering. It's like when he said to, to Peter, Agape, and he said, Phileo, Agape, and finally he said, Okay, Phileo. <laughs> um, but then he did for Peter what Peter genuinely needed to Agape. That's right. Even though it changed the conversation, it did not change God's purpose. That's right. He ended up doing for Peter what was required. That's right. And so when I pray for us this morning, wherever you are in your story of righteousness or your sin package, whether you're struggling or you think you're winning, my prayer for us is that we receive the full benefit of what Jesus is offering. Yes. What he brought to Peter was redemption. And one of the definitions of redemption is to regain possession of something in exchange for payment. He paid to regain possession of us. But when we agree with that, we regain possession of him and yes. all that he offers. That's right. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for conviction. Thank you that you interject into our lives, sometimes even when we're not looking for you. And you show up in all of your glory to restore fellowship, to restore the purpose of love in our lives rather than um, service that pleases us or others. You've come to refresh us in the real mission 
of extending your kingdom first in our own lives and then abroad with all the people that we come in contact with. Father, you have offered us the remedy for broken hearts, for distractions, for sinful choices, for wanting things you don't want for us, for preferring ourselves, for demanding our way, for all of the things that plague us. You alone are the healing bomb. So we start today by saying thank you and agreeing that we want that. Regardless of what it requires from us, regardless of how we have to be amended or corrected or redirected, we do want to live in agape. We want to be useful. We want to have uninterrupted fellowship with you. That isn't the second thing, but the primary thing. So, Father, thank you for dropping the plumb line, showing us where we are in relationship to your truth, and then once again giving us a way back, a way into fellowship with you, purpose with you, mission with you. We receive your word today. We agree with you about our condition, about our need, and about your provision. Lord, I'm asking that your spirit, the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, would come right now in our midst, right now to every person that's sitting here that's considering in their own heart what thing needs to be addressed, what it is you want to speak to. You've not brought it up before, and we keep wondering if you will. But you haven't forgotten. And when you bring it up, it's not to rub our noses in it. It's to heal our hearts from it. Yes, Lord. And so I pray for every person, every one of us here that's heard these words, that the Spirit has been speaking and stirring in our hearts. Jesus, we need you to set things right in us, just like you did in Peter. pray that you would do a work, Lord, in us. As your followers, as those that are being drawn to you as a church community, may we see the work of God, the love of God that grows our love for you, that reveals your purpose, that brings glory to you, that speaks to us words, follow me.